0: Amen. Good evening, Eternal City. All right. How y'all doing? You good? All right. All right. So tonight we're coming up in the rear of Romans. We're in Romans chapter 16. The next to the last message after two years. Amen. Praise the Lord. All right. But before we we get into the sermon, um, I want us to pray. We all know what's going on with the hurricane in Florida. So I want us to pray for the victims there um, in Florida. I have friends I know who live in that area who I, I've checked on. It. They're okay, thank God. But um, some of us may have family and friends who live in that area. But we just, but we just want to pray for that whole situation um, uh, with, with Hurricane Ian down in Florida and also heading up towards South Carolina and that whole area. So, so pray with me. Father, we thank you. We bless you for just being who you are. You are a God. And beside you, there is no other. Lord, we thank you that even in the midst of hurricanes and uh, natural disasters, you are still God and you are in control of everything, Lord God. So Lord, we lift up the victims um, who have already been victimized through this hurricane, Lord God, people who have lost homes and everything they've had. We pray for them, Lord God, that your grace would prevail in their lives. However you choose to use this, Lord God, use it for your glory. In Jesus' name, Lord God, we pray for uh, protection from, 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 uh, from this hurricane, Lord God. Uh, we pray that no more, no more lives will be lost. We know there are some who have already been lost, but we pray that no more lives will be lost, no more damage will be done, Lord God, that you would cause this hurricane to subside, Lord God, in Jesus' name. And, and, uh, and even that the churches in those areas would get together, Lord God, and help and come to aid those who have been affected by this horrible uh, hurricane, Lord God gather your churches together in those areas, Lord God, to come and, and to help and to show the love of Christ and to give the gospel even in this dire situation, Lord God. And so we thank you for that, Lord God, that you are a God even in the midst of disaster. And so we look forward to what you're going to do. We'll give you glory, we'll give you honor, and we'll give you praise. And use this and even draw people to yourself who don't know you. Use this hurricane, Lord God, to stir up their spirit, Lord God, to let them see their need for Jesus Christ. And so we thank you and praise you and look forward to what you're going to do. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. 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 All right. Romans chapter 16. Now I know uh, we got some food to eat later. So I'm, I'll be mindful of that as we <laughs> just remind me every now and then, like put up a finger say, food or something, you know. So <laughs> maybe the smell will remind me of a. Uh, So I'll I'll be mindful of that. But let's read Romans chapter 16, starting in verse 17. Now I urge you, brothers, to watch out for those who cause dissensions and obstacles contrary to the doctrine you have learned. Avoid them, for such people do not serve our Lord Christ but their own appetites. They deceive the hearts of the unsuspecting with smooth talk and flattering words. The report of your obedience has reached everyone. Therefore, I rejoice over you. But I want you to be wise about what is good, yet innocent about what is evil. The God of peace will soon crush Satan under your feet. The grace of our Lord Jesus be with you. Timothy, my coworker, and Luscious, Jason, and Sosapater, my fellow countrymen, greet you. I, Tertius, who wrote this letter, greet you in the Lord. Gaius, who is host to me and to the whole church, greet you. Erastus, the city treasurer, and our brother Cortus, greet you. Amen. All right. Good to see my friend and brother, Pastor Matt Cobra here, pastor of City Reform Church, an awesome church here in the city of Pittsburgh visiting. Good to see you, brother. Glad to, glad to have you here. All right. Romans chapter 16, verse 17 says, Now I urge you, brothers, to watch out for those who cause dissensions and obstacles contrary to the doctrine you have learned. Avoid them for such People do not serve our Lord Christ by their own appetites. They deceive the hearts of the unsuspecting with smooth talk and flattering words. Paul says, I implore you, which means to encourage someone to do something or to exhort to action, to call you to do this. Paul saying, I'm calling you to do this, brothers. I urge you. Then he says, to watch out. Listen to the language. Watch out for those who cause dissensions and obstacles contrary to the doctrine. He says, watch out for them. In other words, mark them out. Keep an eye on them. Those who are causing divisions and dissensions, watch them in the congregation. If, if you know they're there, spot. keep an eye on them. Watch out for them, he says. Why? Because they cause dissensions, divisions, parties. They have parties in the church, little cliques. They divide God's people and they deceive God's people, these people. He says, those are the people you need to watch out for. Those who have a clique. Now, we all have our friends among them, among, and there's nothing wrong with that. But he's talking about they purposely divide and separate into little cliques to form gangs, if you will, in the church spiritual gangs, if you will, to cause division. The purpose is to cause division and dissensions. they put obstacles in your way, a course that will lead you to sin. They put, you know, when you, and, and attract me, those who run the hurdles. You know, there's a hurdle they have to get over. It's called a hurdle. (laughs) You have to get over this hurdle. And so they kind of put those kind of things in your way to block you from from your walking with God. He said, watch out for those kind of people. He said, I implore you, I beg you. Paul uses that word a lot. He says, watch out for them. For those who cause dissensions and obstacles. Listen, contrary to the doctrine you've learned. That's key. He said, contrary to to the doctrine or the teaching that you've learned he says the doctrinal issues the clear orthodox uncompromising doctrinal issues that you've learned he said because they those people their doctrine is contrary to that he says watch out for those who cause dissensions and obstacles contrary to the doctrine you've learned. If it doesn't line up with the gospel, watch out, get rid of them. We're going to talk about that in a minute. He says, they call, there are people who come from without and within to challenge the firm foundations and the teachings of our faith. People who come from without and within. And now here he's talking about people In the church, now we know there are people who are outside the church who will come, who will try to come in and 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 teach contrary stuff. But he's talking about people who call themselves Christians from within the congregation. In Acts chapter twenty, when Paul talks to the Ephesian elders, he said, "There's going to come people who rise among you to draw disciples after themselves." He said. He told the elders. He said, "There's going to rise up people among you." To, 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 to uh, raise up disciples after themselves. Not disciples after Jesus, disciples after themselves. Come follow me. Brother so-and-so, listen, you know what? Listen, you know, God showed me some stuff. You know, you know, pastor don't know about this. I haven't heard him teach on this, but, you know, God showed me some stuff. You know, you want to hear, want to hear about, it? we're meeting in my house next Friday. Those kind of people. And it's going to be contrary to what you've learned. They're going to teach you some stuff that you ain't never heard because it ain't in Scripture. They're going to come from without and from within. Now, let's look at some verses to kind of talk about that. Uh, It should be 2 Thessalonians chapter 3. Yeah, here it is. Actually, it's 2 Thessalonians anyway, chapter 3, verse 6. But this is the one I want. Now, we command you, brothers, in the name of our Lord Jesus Christ, keep away from every brother who walks irresponsibly and not according to the tradition you receive from us. Paul says it again. He said, listen, he said, I command you. He said, this is a command. In the name of our Lord Jesus Christ, keep away from. Every brother, quote unquote, who walks irresponsibly and not according to the tradition you've heard from us. If they ain't walking according to the gospel, watch out for them. 2 Timothy chapter 1, hold on, verses 13 and 14, hold on to the pattern of sound teaching that you have heard from me. This, Paul said, this is sound teaching. What you get from me is sound stuff. It's biblical. It's rooted in scripture. He said, hold on to the pattern of sound teaching that you heard from me in the faith and love that are in Christ Jesus. Guard through the Holy Spirit who lives in us that good thing entrusted to you. Guard the gospel that you've heard from me. He said, guard it through the power of the Holy Spirit that lives in you. He said, guard it. Protect this thing called the gospel that you've learned. We have to learn how to protect. The gospel is precious, y'all. It's valuable. Paul said, guard it. Don't let anybody come and mess with that. Guard through the Holy Spirit, the third person of the Trinity. Who lives in you? Guard it through, through the Holy Spirit who lives in you. That good thing, he said, that's a good thing, entrusted to you. It, the gospel has been entrusted to us. He said, guard it. Don't let anybody mess with that. But these people who cause the divisions—that's what they're going to do. Scripture, scripture commands us to be ardent students of the Bible. Did you know that? The Scripture commands us to be ardent students of the Bible. It protects and maintains our unity and protects us from error. When you know scripture, when you're rooted in scripture, it protects and maintains our unity. See, the church is unified around a certain doctrine. The church, Christianity, is unified around a certain teaching, a certain doctrine that's rooted in the gospel of Jesus Christ. We are unified in that. And so false teaching causes disunity among the church. So we are commanded to be ardent. There should be no such thing as an ignorant Christian when it comes to the Bible. Now, I know there's a whole bunch of them. <laughs> but we are not to be ignorant of Scripture. We are to constantly be studied to show ourselves approved unto God. A workman who need not be ashamed, rightly dividing the word of truth. He said rightly dividing. If he says rightly dividing, there's the wrong way to do it. He said, rightly dividing the word of truth, because you can wrongly divide a word of truth, and we all heard it and seen it, wrongly divided. And it brings false doctrine. But that unity, we are unified. And I know there's many secondary issues that we and the church disagree on, and that's fine. That's always been the case. But I'm talking about um, orthodoxy, stuff that we can't compromise on, the deity of Christ, the trinity, the atonement, all that kind of stuff. We don't, the our church is unified on that. The real church is unified on that. Now, we may disagree on some secondary issues about, you know, the gifts of the spirit and, and, and baptism and, and, and social justice and eschatology and all those things and how we deal with. We can disagree on those secondary issues, but we are unified around who Jesus is. We are unified around how you get saved. We can disagree on some of those and we can, we can vehemently disagree. But at the end of the day, we come back together and worship right next to each other even though we disagree politically, amen? Even though we disagree on eschatology, we worship together this Jesus. I don't remember where I heard this from, but um, I can't remember where I heard it, but there was a man and a woman in church. There was a man, a white man, who had a MAGA hat on. And standing next to him was a black woman who had a Black Lives Matter shirt on. And they were standing next to each other, worshiping together. I was like, wow, what church was that? (laughs) I was like, what? I was like, okay, praise the Lord. (laughs) But but that should be be able to happen. You know what I'm saying? You know, um, anyway. All right. um, False teaching destroys unity. And notice he said, guard the teaching that you already had. See, um, the gospel was already taught. So they knew what to guard. They knew to guard the gospel because it was already established what it was. So it was already taught. Listen to this, it's better to divide over truth than to unite around error. It's better to divide over the truth than to unite around error. What do I mean? If somebody doesn't want to embrace the truth of the gospel, the scriptures, we can divide it. I'm sorry. If you want to leave because of that, if you want to, we can divide over that. It's better to do that than to unite around error. In Genesis chapter 11, they united around error, building a tabernacle to God. They were united in that. And God said, look, they're going to be able to do this they're so united. Now, see, the church needs, we can learn from that. See, we are divided over the wrong stuff. We don't unite around the things we ought to be united on. We need to learn better to unite, to divide over the truth rather than divide, unite over over error. All right. He says, watch out for those who cause dissensions and obstacles contrary to the doctrine you have learned. Look at what he says. Avoid them. Just plain and simple. Paul says, avoid them. And notice, this is your personal responsibility. He didn't say, he said, you avoid them. I don't care you avoid them as teachers and and instructors to you on things of God, matters of God. I don't care if they're on TV. I don't care if it's in print. I don't care if they're on a radio. I don't care if they've written any books. Don't read none of their books. Don't watch the TV shows. Don't read. Avoid them, he said. God takes false teaching and division so seriously. That's a teaching in itself, and I may come back and just teach on that alone, but, but, but he takes it so seriously. He says, avoid them that cause dissensions, contrary to the doctrine you've learned. He said, avoid them. Stay away from them folk. Galatians chapter 1. But even if we or an angel from heaven shall preach to you a gospel other than what we have preached to you, a curse be upon it. Wow. Paul said, listen, I don't care if it's me. He said, if I come to you and say I changed my mind about Jesus, (laughs) he said, a curse be upon me. Don't listen to me. He said, if we or even an angel from heaven, a a heavenly spiritual being comes and says, this is what God said. He said something new. He said, if they come and shall preach to you a gospel other than what we have preached to you, a curse be on him. As we have said before, I now say again, if anyone preaches to you a gospel or contrary to what you have received, a curse be upon him, exclamation point. Paul said, I mean that. Curse. There's nowhere in scripture, and prove me if I'm wrong, where God ever says pray for false teachers. I don't think I've ever read it. That's just something I ain't come across yet, but he says, avoid them, stay away from them. They're cursed. He said, I say again, if anybody preaches you a gospel contrary, I word contrary again, to what you received, a curse be on him. First Timothy chapter six, verses one through seven. If anyone teaches other doctrine as does not agree with the sound teaching of our Lord Jesus Christ. Listen, other doctrine, contrary again. He said, "If anyone teaches other doctrine and does not agree with the sound teaching of our Lord Jesus Christ and with the teaching that promotes godliness, listen. He's conceited, understanding nothing, but has a sick and twist and twit has a sick interest in disputes and arguments over words. You ever meet somebody like that? They just like to argue over words, over stuff. Listen, he, he, this is what he says about it. He says, first of all, they're conceited. They think they're better than what they is. <laughs> they they high on themselves they understand nothing. Paul said they're ignorant. But in the midst of it, they ignorant. <laughs> but has a sick interest in disputes and arguments over words. Why well, is that sick? In disputes over arguments over words. From these come envy, quarreling, slander, evil suspicions and constant disagreement among people whose minds are depraved and deprived of the truth. Wow. He says from that, from the sick folk come envy, they jealous, quarreling, slander, evil suspicions and constant disagreement among people whose minds are depraved and deprived of the truth. That's a problem. They don't know what the truth is who imagine that godliness is a way to material gain. Godliness is a way to material gain. If you live right, God will give you all the car you want. If you just live right, you're going to prosper. It's called prosperity gospel. Godliness is a way to gain. Not because you're supposed to, it's a way to get. I want to live right so God can give me that house. who imagine that godliness is a way to material gain, but godliness with contentment is a great gain. God said, he said, godliness with contentment, I'm just satisfied with Jesus right where I am. He said, that's great gain. Ain't nothing wrong with a car or the house, but that ain't why I'm doing this. If I never get it, godliness, I'm content with that. But godliness with contentment is a great gain, for we brought nothing into the world and we can take nothing out. You didn't come here with nothing, so why do you think you should leave with something? <laughs> you came here naked as a jaybird, as old folks used to say. Naked as a jaybird. <laughs> and now you want, to, we want all this stuff now. You came in here with nothing, and so God said, you're going to leave with nothing. <laughs> Avoid them. How can they be recognized? First of all, we, we recognize by what they do, their lifestyle. Look at how they live. They love the material stuff, like I said. And, you know, prosperity gospel preachers, they, they always talk about they, they, they buy airplanes and stuff, you know, and ask the church to, to pay for it. There's a recent story of a, of a pastor who got mad because uh, the church wouldn't buy him this watch. He almost cussed the church out because they wouldn't get him this watch that he wanted. He's a, this is the pastor. I'm serious. This is a real story. A pastor. Another pastor was robbed. You probably heard his story. No, he got robbed. He was standing in the pulpit with thousands of dollars worth of jewelry on, him and his wife. And he got robbed. But first of all, what are you doing standing in the pulpit with $150,000 worth of jewelry on? Anyway. Anyway. <laughs> Godliness is a way to material gain. So we look at their lifestyle. Hmm, how they live it. We look at what they say. We look at their teaching. This is how you can recognize them. What do they say? What are their teaching? What's their doctrine? The Bible says, watch your doctrine. What do they say about Jesus? Who's Jesus? Who's God? How do you get saved? Answer those questions. Ask them those kind of questions. Watch their doctrine. They're teaching. If it doesn't line up with Scripture, avoid them. You recognize them by their fruit, Jesus said. What kind of fruit are they producing? If they're a pastor, look at the members of the church if you can. Because that says a lot about where they attend church. What do they believe about the Scriptures? People that, what do they believe about Jesus Do they believe Jesus is one of the ascended masters? Or is he the second person of the triune Godhead? Is he God in the flesh or was he just a man who exalted himself? Is he the new age Jesus or is he the biblical Jesus? Is he the Muslim Jesus or is he the biblical Jesus? Is he the Jehovah's Witness Jesus or is he the biblical Jesus? Is he the Mormon Jesus or is he the biblical Jesus? Because they ain't the same, y'all. They all got a Jesus. All religions got a Jesus pretty much. They all got one, but it ain't the one in Scripture. The first thing, every cult, every, every, every false teaching, for the most part, begins with the nature of God. When you mess with the nature of God, you mess with God. When you mess with the nature of anything, you destroy what it is. You change what it is. If you change the nature of an elephant, he's not an elephant anymore. So you begin with the nature of God. Who is God in His essence and being? Those are kind of questions you ask, and what do they teach about God? What do they teach about Jesus? Is God triune or is He just one? Is the Holy Spirit God, or is He just a force? Watch their doctrine. What do they say about? What do they say about the Bible? Is the Bible authoritative? Or is it just a good book that we got some good stories in it? We can learn from it. It's good, but I don't believe God really wrote it. And then, are they self-serving? Is it all about them? Where's my watch? <laughs> Why aren't y'all paying for me to get this airplane? Okay, I want to talk about some of the best means of protection and preserving the congregation from destructive and divisive people and false teachers. First of all is observation. We as pastors, first of all, are to do this. You scan the flock, if you will. And I'm not talking about being legalistic and and that's, that's not what I mean. But we listen for error. You ought to listen for error. Observation is the first thing you ought to do. Second is confrontation. Sometimes people need to be confronted. False teachers and people who are divisive thrive on secrecy. They thrive on secrecy. 3 John uh, 9 and 10. I wrote something to the church but Diotrephes, who loves to have first place among them. He loves to have first place. He was conceited. Does not receive us. He wouldn't receive Paul and This, this is why if I come, I will remind him of the, of the works he is doing, slandering us with malicious words. Paul said, when I come, I'm going, I'm going to confront him about what he's been doing. And sometimes you have to confront false teachers and divisive people. Lovingly, lovingly say, listen, brother, let's, let's talk. Let's go out. I need to talk to you. What's up? You seem to be very divisive. Now, correct me if I'm wrong, but you know what I'm saying? lovingly. You want to do it first? Okay. If I come, I will remind him of the works. I've seen some stuff you've done. Now you've done this, this, and this. What's going on there? Why are you doing that? What's going on? He said, I will remind him of the works he's doing, slandering us. He was slandering him with malicious words. Why are you saying that about me? Why are you saying that about brother so-and-so, sister so-and-so? Why are you talking about the elders like that? And he is not satisfied with that exclamation point. That wasn't even enough. He not only refuses to welcome the brothers himself, but he even stops those who want to do so and expels them from the church. He tells them to get out. Kicks out people who are godly and trying to receive godly people. He took it upon himself to excommunicate them. Paul said, I'm going to confront him when I come. And sometimes you need to confront those kind of people and let them know, you're not going to, you're not, this ain't happening in the ACC. You ain't doing that here. Not up in this church. We don't do that. We don't play that here. You take that mess somewhere else. Now, you can repent. We love you. You can repent. If you repent, you, oh, hey, you we welcome. But listen, we ain't playing that here. Observation, confrontation, and separation. Sometimes, Titus said, but avoid foolish debates genealogies, quarrels, and disputes about the law, for they are unprofitable and worthless. And then he says, reject a divisive person. Remember that person, that divisive person? He says, reject them. Reject a divisive person after a first and second warning. Listen, this is the second time we've come to you, bro. He said, after the second time, reject them. Two strikes are (laughs) out. Knowing that such a person is perverted and sins being self-centered. He said, avoid foolish debates. He didn't say debates. He said foolish ones. Some debates are good. He said, avoid, that's what apologists do. They debate people who contradict scripture. And there's a a way to do that. But he says, avoid foolish debates Genealogies, quarrels, and disputes about the law. See, some of the divisive people just want to talk about that kind of stuff. They they talk about genealogies and you know even with uh, the Black Hebrew Israelites, that's the whole thing. Genealogy, you know, I'm I'm, I'm an original Israelite and blah blah blah. All this genealogy, and, and you know, I know where my, my, what, what tribe I came from. No, you don't. No, you don't. Disputes about the law. He said all those kind of arguments. He said they're unprofitable and worthless. Those foolish debates. Now, we can have conversations about those kind of things, but he's talking about foolish debates that cause quarrels and all that kind of stuff. He said it's unprofitable and worthless. And he says, reject the divisive person after a first and second warning. This is the second time, bro. We're coming to you. We ain't coming no more after this. We didn't told you once. We didn't you once already. Stop doing that. You're being divisive. You're dividing the church. What are you doing? Knowing that such a person is perverted and sins. They're in sin. And their thinking is perverted. Being self-condemned. They condemn it as self. All right. So observation, confrontation, and separation. All right. Then he says, verse 18, for such people do not serve our Lord Christ, but their own appetites. They deceive the hearts of the unsuspecting with smooth talk and flattering words. He said, listen, these people ain't even serving Jesus. He says, they have their own ambitions. They have their own private interests. They're serving their own lusts. He said, avoid them, for such people do not serve our Lord Christ, but their own appetites. They deceive the hearts of the unsuspecting with smooth talk and flattering words. Let's look at some Old Testament examples of this. I always like to give you examples of, of, what I'm, of what's being said. Old Testament, Jeremiah chapter 23. Yeah. Concerning the prophets, now God is talking about, this is God talking. He said, concerning the prophets, my heart is broken within me and all my bones tremble. I have become like a drunkard, I'm um, sorry, Jeremiah is talking. I have become like a drunkard, like a man overcome by wine because of the Lord, because of his holy words. For the land is full of adulterers. The land mourns because of the curse and the grazing lands and the wilderness have dried up. Their way of life has become evil and their power is not rightly used because both prophet and priest are ungodly. He said, The prophet and the priest are ungodly. Even in my house, I have found their evil. This is the Lord's declaration. This is verse 22. This is what the Lord of hosts says Do not listen to the words of the prophets who prophesy to you. And God said, Listen, don't listen to them. They are making you worthless. They speak visions from their own minds, not from the Lord's mouth. Did you hear that? Visions, they serve themselves visions from their own minds and not the Lord's mouth. They keep on saying to those who despise me, listen, the people, this is the people who hate God. They said, they say to the people who despise me, the Lord has said, you will have peace. Flattering words, smooth talk. These are the people that hate God. He's telling, he says, listen, the Lord has said, he's lying on God. Now this prophet, the Lord has said, you will have peace. They have said to everyone who follows the stubbornness of his heart, no harm will come to you. You could be stubborn against God, rebelled against God if you want. Nothing ain't going to happen to you. For who has stood in the counsel of the Lord to see and hear his word? Question. Which one of these prophets that stood in in my presence and heard my word? Who has paid attention to his word and obeyed? Look, a storm from the Lord. Wrath has gone out, a whirling storm. It will whirl about the heads of the wicked. The Lord's anger will not turn back until he has completely fulfilled the purpose of his heart. Wow. Did you hear that? He said, The Lord's anger will not turn back until he can, has completely fulfilled the purposes of his heart. You see how serious God takes false teaching, lying prophets. In time to come, you will understand it clearly. He said, when God get done, you understand exactly. When it's all over and said and done, you will understand it clearly. I did not send these prophets, yet they ran with a message. God said, I didn't send them, but they went. The Bible says, how can they preach unless they be sent? The old people just say, some were sent, others just went. (laughs) Some people, God didn't send, they just went. (laughs) He said, I did not send these prophets, yet they ran with the message. He said, I did not speak to them, yet they prophesied. I didn't speak anything, but they prophelying. If they had really stood in my counsel, they would have enabled my people to hear my words and would have turned them back from their evil ways and their evil deeds. If they really were speaking my words, they would have told the people to repent. If they really stood in my counsel and heard what I said, they would have had a different message. But because they were speaking from their own minds and not from the mouth of the Lord. Ezekiel chapter 34 The word of the Lord came to me, son of man, prophesy against the shepherds of Israel. The shepherds, oh, now he's talking to the pastors. Uh oh. Prophesy against the shepherds of Israel. Prophesy and say to them, This is what the Lord God says to the shepherds. This is is what God's saying to the pastors. Woe to the shepherds of Israel who have been feeding themselves their own appetites, remember? Feeding themselves. Shouldn't the shepherds feed their flock? Ain't me and Justin and Pete and Chris supposed to feed y'all? Aren't they supposed to feed the flock? You eat the fat, you wear the wool, and you butcher the fattened animals, but you do not tend the flock. You eat all the good stuff, you wear all the nice clothes, but you don't feed the flock. You don't tend to the flock. You have not strengthened the weak, healed the sick, bandaged the injured, or brought back the strays, or sought the lost. All the stuff you're supposed to be doing as a pastor. Strengthening the weak, healing the sick, bandaging the injured, bringing back the strays, seeking the lost. Jesus said, I came to seek and save that which is lost. He said, said, instead, you have ruled them with violence and cruelty. Wow, these are the pastors. They were scattered for lack of a shepherd. They became food for all the wild animals when they were scattered. People scattered around and they just got devoured by the wild animals. By false teachers. My flock went astray on all the mountains and every high hill. They were scattered over the whole face of the earth, and there was no one searching or seeking or searching or, searching or seeking for them. Nobody went after them. Remember, Jesus would leave the 99 and go after the one? Nobody went after the one. Therefore, you shepherds, hear the word of the Lord, as I live. The declaration of the Lord God. Because my flock has become prey and food for every wild animal, since they lack a shepherd, for my shepherds do not search for my flock, and because the shepherds feed themselves rather than the flock. Therefore, you shepherds, hear the word of the Lord. This is what the Lord God says. Look, I am against the shepherds, I'm against you. Can you imagine God saying that to you? I'm against you. I am against the shepherds. I will demand my flock from them and prevent prevent them from shepherding the flock. You're fired. Get out of my church. Get out the pulpit. You're fired. I will prevent them from shepherding the flock. The shepherds will no longer feed themselves for I will rescue my flock from their mouths. God said, I'm going to rescue them myself so that they will not be food for them. For this is what the Lord God says. See, I myself will search for my flock and look for them. God loves us so much. God said, I'm going to come after you myself. When you try to go astray, God says, I'm coming after you myself. I'm going to leave the 99. I'm coming after you. Since the shepherds ain't doing it, I'm coming. That's how much God loves us. I'll chase you myself. You ain't going nowhere. One last verse. Philippians chapter 3, verses 17 and 19. Join in imitating me, brothers, and observe those who live according to the example you have in us. Paul said, I'm an example, follow me. For I have often told you, and now say again with tears, that many live as enemies of the cross of Christ. He said, Paul said, I'm crying about this. They're living as enemies of the cross of Christ. Their end is, is destruction. Their God is their stomach, their appetites. Remember that? Their glory is in their shame. They are focused on earthly things, material gain. Uh, They deceive the hearts of the unsuspecting with smooth talk and flattering words. They're very winsome, they're attractive, they're funny. They wear nice clothes and usually they're embraced by the media. The media loves these kind of quote unquote Christians, pastors, flamboyant, who don't talk about, you know, the gospel at all. They talk about the love of God, which is true. But that's all they talk about. The media loves them. They don't challenge anybody. The unsuspecting means the simple, the innocent. They're free from evil. They're harmless. Those are the people they go after. See, they know who to go after, these kind of people. They don't go after everybody. They don't go after mature Christians who know their word. They go after the simple, the unsuspecting babies in Christ or those who are not mature in the faith and they'll spot you out and say, hmm, OK, I'm going after her. She don't seem to know much. I'm going after him. He just got saved two months ago. The unsuspecting, the simple, those are the ones they go after. They don't go after everybody. They know better. All right. I'm moving fast. The report of your obedience has reached everyone. Everybody knows about your obedience. Therefore, I rejoice over you. But I want you to be wise about what is good, yet innocent about what is evil. The God of peace will soon crush Satan under your feet. The grace of our Lord Jesus Christ be with you. All right. He says, the report of your obedience has reached everybody. Your your, your reputation has gone before you. And that's good, as long as it's a good reputation. (laughs) Your reputation has gone before you. Your obedience. People know how obedient you are, eternal City. I'm going to throw our name in there. (laughs) They know your obedience. The report of your obedience has reached everyone. Therefore, I rejoice over you. God said, I I, I rejoice over this church. I rejoice over y'all. I see you. I rejoice. John said, I found no greater joy than to find that my children walk in truth, he said in 1 John. He said, I rejoice over you. He said, but I I want you to be wise about what is good, yet innocent about what is evil. Wise, endowed with spiritual and practical wisdom. Discerning what is good, you're not deceived. And this all comes through knowing scripture. He says, I want you to be wise about that, endowed with spiritual and practical wisdom. He says, Be wise about what is good, be wise about those kind of things, yet innocent about what is evil, harmless. You're not a deceiver yourself. You're harmless, you're untamed, you're unmixed when it comes to evil. 1 Corinthians chapter 14, verse 20. Brothers, don't be childish in your thinking. Grow up. Don't be childish in your thinking, but be infants in regard to evil and adult in your thinking. He says, don't be childish in your thinking. Grow up. Be mature. Okay, you've been saved for five years now. You ought to know some stuff. Grow up. Don't get so easily offended anymore. Grow up. Mature. He said, don't be childish in your thinking. He said, but it, be infants in regard to evil. When it comes to evil, be like a baby. Innocent. An adult in your thinking. Be mature. Think like a mature Christian. The Bible says, grow in the grace and knowledge of our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ. Grow. We ought to constantly be growing as Christians. We never arrive, church. Constantly growing. All the time. And I've said this, and I, it bears repeating. We... As, as, as pastors, as teachers, we, are, we sometimes get to teach, but we are always students. We get to teach sometimes, and that's great, but we are always students. That's why we read so many books. That's why we listen to so many sermons. We go to conferences, because we are forever students. And God graces us to be able to teach sometimes, and that's a blessing, and we're humbled by that. But we, are, we will never stop being a student, and you will never stop being a student. You never graduate in Christian, in Christian education. (laughs) There is no graduation until death. (laughs) Amen? Amen. All right. Innocent to what's evil. Now, we want to be innocent to what's evil personally. In my personal life, I'm innocent to what's evil personally and how I live. I'm innocent to, to what's evil relationally. I love people, but I draw lines in my life. See, because I need to be innocent to what's evil. I love people, but I have to draw a line. I love you, brother, but no, I can't go there. Can't do that. I I draw a line. You know I'm saved. Don't ask me to do stuff that you know I ain't right. Innocent Innocent to what is evil personally, relationally, and culturally. The culture doesn't dictate what I do, where I go, what I say, what I listen to, what movies I go to. The culture doesn't dictate that. I'm innocent to, what's to, uh, innocent to what is evil as far as the culture is concerned as well. You know, the culture is so influential, y'all, especially the young people. It's so influential. And it can be influential to us, even subconsciously. We don't realize it is. I don't know if we realize how, subcon- how influential the culture is subconsciously. But we need to be innocent to evil in all those areas, personally, relationally, and culturally. Whether it's cultural in general... Or culture ethnically or racially. You said we don't I don't just do stuff just because black folks supposed to do that. (laughs) You don't do stuff just because white folks are supposed to do that. Is it sin? Then you don't do that. (laughs) Is it against scripted? Then I don't do that. I'm saved first. I'm holy, godly, righteous first. So the culture any culture doesn't dictate what I do. All right, so there are five views, I think, of how the church interacts with culture that I read I thought were good. First of all, Christ against culture. These are insulated Christians. You know, they, they live like modest, like monks in monasteries. They don't do anything that ain't got nothing to do with the Bible. <laughs> I mean, you know, they, they just, they're just insulated Christians. They, be ye separate, come out from among them. And, you know, if you go out there, you're going to get tainted. So they just kind of insulate themselves. You know they don't go nowhere; they stay in. That's not biblical. That's Christ against culture. There is the Christ of culture. This is the total opposite. This is like a social gospel. Ain't no sin, no hell, no need for forgiveness. Jesus is just love everybody, and just you know, there's no need. There's no sin. There's no the sin is that you don't know who you really are, and you know, all that kind of foolishness. Jesus came as a social revolutionary, not as a savior of the world. He's a social revolutionary. That's why he came, to save us from all the whatever. That ain't biblical either. They don't talk about sin, hell, forgive none of that. It ain't necessary. Thirdly, it's Christ above culture. They try to persevere Christian culture. They, they, they try to preserve Christian cultural ghettos instead of advancing the gospel. They acknowledge technology and medicine, all that kind of stuff, but you know they create these, these Christian cultural ghettos instead of advancing the gospel. That ain't good either. That's not scripture either. Then there's Christ and culture in paradox. You're members of both cultures, and we are. We're members of the kingdom of God, and we're in this world too. Um, but it leads to a cultural war mentality. You know, I'm a member of the kingdom of God, so therefore I have to attack the world all the time. Then, you know, there ain't nothing good in the world. Ain't nothing good out there. It's all evil. <laughs> Cult- no, no. Everything in the world ain't sin and everything in the world ain't wrong. You know, before I got saved, everything I did wasn't sinful. Some was just good, clean fun, amen? You just, sometimes you just had good, clean fun. Everything wasn't sinful. But these people, if it, ain't, if it ain't Bible, then it's sinful. No. Then there's Christ, the transformer of culture. Appeals to powerful work of God to transform that which is sinful. Now that's biblical. The Christ who transforms culture. Appeals to powerful, the powerful work of God to transform that which is sinful. And that's what we do. That's what we do. Christ, who's able to transform culture, he transformed us and then he transformed culture as well. All right. Um, I rejoice over you, but I want you to be wise about what is good. I got a little over a minute. Yet innocent about what is evil. The God of peace will soon crush Satan under your feet. It's, not, it's like, to me, it's like this verse just came out of nowhere. It's like, why did he put that there? He talks about, you know, rejoice of you, and want you to be wise. He then he says, and the God of peace will soon crush Satan under your feet. The grace of our Lord Jesus Christ be with you. Now, this is obviously a reference to Genesis chapter 3. Uh, I will put hostility between you and the woman and between your seed and her seed. He will strike your head and you will strike his heel. Now, this is Paul just referencing this verse. The, uh, he says, the God of peace. Notice, he's the God of peace. He's the God of peace. You have the peace of God, you have peace with God. Jesus is known as the Prince of Peace. He says, the God of peace will soon crush Satan under your head. He's going to put hostility between you and the woman and between your seed and her seed. It was a call, uh, bruise his heel or strike his, your head. I call a suffer with a non-lethal blow that Satan would, 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 uh, would inflict on Jesus. But Jesus was going to destroy him with a fatal blow. Crush. It means to shatter, to break into pieces by crushing, to smite through. And that's what, he, and that's what Jesus came to do. He said, soon, the God, of, the God of peace will soon crush Satan. Immediately, soon enough. Listen, it's coming, church. Soon. It ain't going to be long. Forthwith, he's going to come. And if you notice in this whole book, Satan gets one mention in the book of, uh, of Romans, and it's right here. <laughs> I'm going to mention it one time. He's done. Shortly, he's done. That's all you need to know about him. There's two commands in scripture, I think, for Satan. Resist him, don't give him place. The Bible says, resist the devil and he'll flee and don't give him place. And you ain't got to worry about him. And the two commands that God gave about as far as how to deal with him. Resist him and don't give him place. Everything else God says is all about me. The rest of the Bible is all about Jesus. Satan, resist him, don't give him place. Now let me tell you about me. Remember that. Most of the Bible, 99.9% of the Bible is about God. (laughs) And Jesus took care of Satan at the cross. Resist him, don't give him place. All right. He's going to crush him under your feet soon. 1 John chapter 3, verse 8. The one who commits sin is of the devil, for the devil has sinned from the beginning. The Son of God was revealed for this purpose, to destroy the works of the devil. Destroy, annihilate a fatal blow to the devil. Smite him. That's why Jesus came, to destroy the works of the devil. Revelation chapter 20. When it's all over, at the end the devil who deceived them was thrown into the lake of fire and saw for where the beast and the false prophet are. And they will be tormented day and night forever and ever. There's a Satan's. There it is right there. Soon he's going to crush him. It's over. When you ever feel like the devil's beating up on you, just turn to Revelation chapter 20, verse 10 and just read it out loud to him. The devil who deceived them was thrown into the lake of fire and suffered with the beast and the false prophet of the beast. And remember, they're false prophet. Remember false teaching, false prophets? They're there too. And they will be tormented day and night forever and ever. Whoops. And then he says, The grace of our Lord Jesus be with you. The goodwill of Christ towards you, the work of Christ in you be with you. The grace of the Lord Jesus Christ be with you ends right there. That's good. I like that he ends the grace of the Lord Jesus with And then he goes and gives some shout outs. Real quick. I'm not going to read the verse. Well, I'm done. Real quick. The shout outs. Uh-oh. Uh, are they there? Verse 23. Oh, maybe I didn't. Okay. All right. Verse 21 and 23. Uh, Paul gives some, mentions some names. Um, at the end of Romans chapter 16. And he just gives some shout outs to some people who, who were friends of his. And he says, verse 21, Timothy, my co-worker, and we all know who Timothy is. He was Paul's spiritual son. Um, got two books written to him, first and second Timothy. And Acts chapter 16 is where he met uh, Timothy. And he gives a shout out to Timothy in, in here. And my co-worker Lu- Lucius, Jason, and Sosa Pater, my fellow countrymen. I think I did uh, have that. Okay, here, here we go, here we go, here we go. Timothy, my coworker, and Luscious, Jason, and Sosa Petar, my fellow countrymen. They were Jews. They were Jews as well, his fellow Jews. Now, Luscious, we think is the same one in Acts chapter 13, verse 1. We think it's the same guy. He was a native of Cyrene, which is a city in North Africa. He was a prophet and a teacher. We think it's the same one. Some, some scholars you read is not the same guy, but Jason, we find in Acts chapter 17, um, Uh, along with uh, Sosipetar in Acts chapter 20 and verse 4. They were both Jews, fellow countrymen. Tertius, he was described, he dictated this letter that Paul wrote. He dictated it. Paul did write it himself with his own hand. Um, But this guy dictated the letter for Paul. He said, I wrote this letter. He said, I greet you in the Lord as well. And then we have Gaius, who was host to me. And he was possibly the same one in 3 John and also possibly the same one in 1 Corinthians chapter 1 who Paul baptized. Paul baptized in 1 Corinthians chapter 1, verse 14, a guy named Gaius, and I think it's the same guy. And also the same one in 3 John, um, uh, in the book of 3 John. Gaius, who was hosting me, now he hosted Paul. He, he, he took Paul in his home, as well as the whole church he also hosted in his house. So he sends greeting as well. Erastus, the city treasurer, the city treasurer, so this is a man of prominence. The city treasurer, he's a man of prominence, he was saved. He said, he greets you, and our brother Cordis, who greets you. Nothing about him, we just, and you've noticed, there's all kinds of people in here. City treasurer, somebody just Quartus, we don't even know who that is. But just people who were just part of Paul's uh, uh, circle, if you will that Paul gives a shout-out to. There was all kind of people in the church, and that's the way the church should be. We have people of, of, of city treasurers and, and, and garbage men and, and teachers and, and doctors and, 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 and nurse aides. Everybody was in the, is in the church, everybody. Rich, poor, and everything in between. And Paul says, I give a shout-out. All of these, they all help me in my ministry. Every one of them. Nobody is insignificant in the church of God. Nobody is insignificant. I don't care what your tax bracket is, you are not insignificant. If you don't have a job, you are not insignificant. You're just as valuable as, as the doctor or the city treasurer. Now, as we, get, as we prepare to take communion, we need to remember what kind of people to stay away from in church? Those who are divisive cause divisions contrary to the doctrine you have learned. Paul kind of ends his letter with this. Listen, after all he said, I want implore you brothers to watch out for them. Watch them out. Mark them out. Look out for them. They there. Look out for them. It's a warning he's given to the church.